In the dark, gritty Old Man in the Sea, the sea is a brooding ex-Disney star. In honor of Far From the Matting Crowd, what classic book do you want to see adapted slash remade? And uh, who's your big name lead? I'm Katie Rich, and I was always really into the over-the-top romanticism of The Scarlet Letter, so let's do that. And uh, I haven't started Coda Fanning, who I promise was pretty great in this movie that you will never see called Effie Gray. You keep mentioning Effie Gray, and I'm still... I saw Effie Gray. Don't Wasn't see it. Good. It's not oh, good, but oh. she's good in it. Okay, fair. I'm Matt Patches, and I will be simple. I'm going to go with The Scarlet Pimpernel, starring Tom Hiddleston. It's perfect. Swashbuckling. <laughs> and I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Slaughterhouse-Five again, uh, even though it's already been made. Directed by Don Hertzfeld and starring the voice of Jake Gyllenhaal. No, no more dark and gritty roles for Jake Gyllenhaal. Give him. Something. It's not that dark and gritty. I mean, it's it's morbidly oh. funny in in its darkness. Uh, fine, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 69 for Tuesday, April 28th, 2015. Still the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. I want you to know before we start that because I'm still in middle school. I looked up to see what Operation Kino episode, episode 69 was and it was a review of Magic Mike. I'm and we giggled. To, yeah, oh yeah. And I regret to say that the uh, timing is not nearly as fortuitous this time, but... uh you know, maybe we'll throw some G-string jokes in there somehow anyway. Always. Always. Uh, before, oh, Also, we're switching up the format a little bit this week. Dave is not on the main episode, but will be on the review. I know. We sent him to the Avengers. Yeah, he is currently assembling with the Avengers as we record this. but So he'll be around, so don't unsubscribe or swear to only listen to Storm of Spoilers from now on. He hasn't gone far. Uh, <laughs> and before we start, uh, da- David, I hear we have a new review. David with a we seven. Have- we have two reviews. What? The first, from Jamie Omer, says, Great hosts, great podcasts. Fighting in the War Room lives up to its name. Sometimes I can't tell if Patches and David are going to make it through the episode, in parentheses, ex machina. Katie is the much-needed ref, and Dave is there to chime in whenever he realizes it's his turn to speak. All cheap <laughs> shots aside, I think all four hosts are fantastic and insightful. If you want a reliable source to point you towards what to watch, there is no better podcast. Thank you very much, Jamie Omer. We also have Mr. Deathman. In a slightly longer review, who says, I agree, it's fine to be great. Three years ago, well, I, I'm going to take special pleasure reading this review. Uh, three years ago, a wise man said, I feel like we should put this sort of cinema to bed now. The next one is Thor 2. How the fuck am I supposed to care about what <laughs> Thor is up to by himself off in Asgard or whatever? <laughs> Say what you will about his taste, but David Ehrlich prophesied the truth in ways that are still being felt on the eve of the Avengers Age of Oh Well. With cinematography wow. that co-host Matt, I see eight out of the ten movies I hate patches calls flat as fuck. I feel like this show <laughs> understands fads and trends better than most movie podcasts through lively banter and funny conversations. For the moment that Dave Seven honks the horn, that show is usually fantastic. By the time that Katie Rich enthusiastically reads the date, in parentheses, I wish I cared that much about what day it is. <laughs> it is the start to an hourish lesson in all things pop culture, outlier culture, and occasionally literature or music. We're trying tried- to get people to care about time as well. Come I'm on. usually just proud that I've remembered the date. <laughs> yeah. I've tried to find shows that I love as much as this, but as a fan going back to the Soul Surfer days, it's hard. They nail it every time. Whoa. I would also... Just give this podcast a five-star rating for its movie recommendations. I may never be as intellectual in movies as Ehrlich, but he deserves diplomatic immunity after bringing Girl Walk All Day and Holy Motors to my attention. Bless you, sir. 
You're you're welcome. Thank you. Exactly. Everyone who bad mouths you doesn't get it. I agree. One day the world will understand their mistake and buy you lunch. Until then, I think being stuck with Patches, Katie, and Dave is a nice alternative. I agree. If only we uh, could trust a guy leaving a podcast review called uh, Deaf Man, whatever it is. <laughs> I wish I had faith. What, like, what's your problem with this? I think he is a clearly an intelligent, articulate individual who has great taste. Uh, this week, if you're one of the eight people who doesn't see Avengers Age of Ultron in theaters, you might be seeing, actually you're probably not going to see this movie, but uh, a film called Welcome to Me, directed by Shira Piven and starring Kristen Wiig. Uh, I believe this film premiered at the Toronto Film Festival last year. David? You are correct. Okay. Um, and it's it's a very odd cookie. Um, Shira Piven, <laughs> I believe, is the wife yeah. of Adam McKay. And the sister of Jeremy Piven. Okay, there you go. Wow. Which is why they made that car salesman movie together, I suppose. They felt they were brought together by Shira Piven. What was that movie called? Get Hard? No. Uh, No. uh, Sell Hard? Buy Hard, Sell Hard? (laughs) Who fucking cares? (laughs) Anyway, Shira Piven decided to make her own movie, um, starring Kristen Wiig as this woman, Alice Klieg, who is. um, she, she She has some psychiatric issues i believe she has borderline personality disorder is that what they kind of dance around all sorts of things that she well may not have, i think and she's been one of the one of the things the movie plays with is how the nomenclature has evolved since the time that uh, this now 40 year old woman was diagnosed as 16 year old uh with, with manic depressive disorder and then bipolar disorder it was called and and, and uh, borderline personality disorder which is what her psychologist or psychiatrist tim robbins calls it in the film it's always the same thing but the uh the words for it change. So she's suffering from some issues that people don't have the time to really understand. Um, and luckily, fate d- helps them understand. Well, doesn't help them understand, but puts her in the spotlight and forces people to confront what is and isn't wrong with her. Um, because she wins the lottery. She wins the Mega Millions lottery, wins like $85 million, and decides she's going to finally uh, uh, and live her, her life goal, which is to be Oprah. And she's going to buy space on a small television station and put on her own talk show. And that's basically what the movie is, her trying to get through all these episodes with people like James Marsden as the TV producer and uh, Wes Bentley as his brother and Joan Cusack as the person or the director of the television show. And they're all trying to put this show on while this crazy lady who is self-obsessed the whole thing with her show is that it's about her you know welcome to me so she's just going to tell life stories um it's not called welcome to you patches you know welcome to me (laughs) welcome to me it's my show um which is what i actually recommended the name of this podcast to be but it didn't fly with the rest of the co-hosts anyway Kristen wig this is a great example of her this is a very a very strange movie but i think it really plays to her strengths as as uh, an expressionist, uh, as as a performer who is about feelings and physicality uh, more than you know char- character or trajectory in a, in a given performance. And I wanted to talk about Kristen Wiig in a broader sense with you guys because, well, David, you've seen this movie. Give me give me your two cents on this. What did what did you think of this kind of strange performance art skewing 
film, comedy in quotes, because they, they, they say it's a comedy. It's, it's Adam McKay's wife. She's done comedy projects with them before, and I think we're supposed to be laughing sometimes, but some of the scenes with Kristen Wiig are, are absolutely horrific when she's embarrassing herself or when she's kind of drawing up these horrible, horrible memories from her youth and sweeting them in a way. There's a Michelle Gondry aspect to this film, I would say. Um, well, I, I it's compared a, it's a, it's a strange mishmash of things, but it's all about her performance. I compared it more to a uh, cross between Synecdoche, New York, and Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Sure, Great yeah. job. Wow. Uh, and I think while I agree with almost everything you said, certainly about the quality of the movie and of Kristen Wiig's performance, uh, I think that it is not about her uh, – it is in no way skewering her. I think that this is a very sincere movie that's about looking at people closely that are typically not seen for who they are because uh, it can be really uncomfortable to directly address mental illness. And I think this is one of those movies that actually uh, – one of the very rare movies yeah. that is actually uh, funny about mental illness in a way that isn't condescending or, or um, means to be offensive. I think it really – its jokes are never at the expense of – Alice Klieg, they, she gets her way. She's able to buy her way into this show, into the studio, and it's amusing to watch Wes Bentley and J- James Marsden and uh, all the other people there, you know, Joanne Cusack, uh, Joan, Joan, Cusack, Cusack. Joan Cusack, I'm sorry, who sort of reprises her role from broadcast from news in a way. Yeah. Well, really from <laughs> broadcast news, but uh, um, to, to see how they sort of make room for Alice Klieg. But yeah, I think this movie is... Um, it, it, it plays within the rules of our reality while also respecting hers um, and everything barring a telethon aspect, which feels a little bit contrived because there's so many balls in the air here that some of the subplots tend to be a little underserved, particularly her relationship with her best friend who's played by Linda Cardellini. Um, I, Linda Cardellini everywhere. Everywhere. But, uh, yeah, two uh, movies I this, this weekend. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think this is a really strong movie. I think it's really funny. And I think it's really interesting that Kristen Wiig has finally found a role that sort of allows her right. wallflower wit to, well, that's- to blossom in it. Because I think that she has had, and I feel strongly about this, an abysmal film career. I think that she has been uh, really at a loss for a role that suits her talents. Do you and give no credit in- to Bridesmaids at all? Bridesmaids was okay. Uh, I think the movie accomplished more than well, as so interesting. culturally After than it did as a film. Bridesmaids was a big broad comedy and it really struck people and she became a leading lady but since then she has not gone the Melissa McCarthy route. She is not starring in similar roles and big budget comedies and stretching genre and kind of playing the same character. She's in all sorts of crazy movies. She's done this like girl most likely indie romantic lead and she was in this movie Hate Ship Love Ship with no one saw, which no one saw which was about I don't like, know that that's come out yet. Yo, it, it has come out. Oh, wow. Uh, Definitely a long has. time ago. Definitely uh, has. And then Skeleton Twins was kind of a bigger hit for her and with her and Bill Hader. But like, and then we, David, you and I got to see her in two movies at Sundance. Diary of a Teenage Girl, where she's, I think, inching not towards good, being more I think, effective as, oh, as a mother character. is kind of a weird burnout. And, but in Nasty Baby, she just plays, again, she's just like, I'm a chill Brooklynite kind of being a weirdo. <laughs> oh, I forgot about it. I, I, I like Nasty Baby. It's uh, a strange movie that may never exists. see the light of day. Um, but she is, uh, yeah, I mean, she's barely there in Nasty Baby. Uh, I mean, she's in the movie a lot, but her character is really um, so rooted in reality that it's it's 
feels like an effortless performance. But I thought that she was regressing a bit into her old tics uh, in a really ineffective way in the wildly overrated Diary of a Teenage Girl, whatever the fuck it's called. That's actually what it's called. I thought I got it wrong, but I don't think I did. Nope, you're uh, on the money. But she's, uh, she's really fantastic in Welcome to Me, I think because she has a role here that has the uh, nuance and the depth for um, for her particular brand of comedy to really find some life in it, to find some things to chew on um, and not just be that surface uh, cadence that that she relies on and relied on in her worst SNL characters. Um, I think this is really the first time that I thought of her as an actress more than as a former SNL performer. I, I uh, completely agree. Katie, I'm curious about you uh, as you haven't seen this movie, I don't think. No. I'm curious as, I'm- a, as an outsider, just looking at Kristen Wiig's career and what, what she does and what she can't seem to do. I'm curious, like, what, what, do you, what do you make of her? When is she effective? Is she? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think of her as being pretty terrific in Bridesmaids, honestly, which, you know, is a movie that has played on cable endlessly and therefore I've developed a lot of affection for. Like, I think about her meltdown scene where she goes and moves in with her mom, Jill Clayburgh, and cries watching Castaway. Like, She's I really-, really good at it, but don't you, you don't watch that and think of, like, oh, Kristen Wiig, the act. I mean, you think of her no. in the context of... Saturday Night Live, and especially she's surrounded with, you know, by Maya Rudolph and John yeah, Hammond. Yeah, but, but I think she brings a warmth to it and is playing a character in that movie that makes me kind of believe in her ability to do that more. And I didn't see Skeleton Twins, which I, at this point I'm realizing I haven't seen a lot of uh, Kristen Wiig post-SNL movies, except for Girl Most Likely, which is bad. Yeah, I, I think she's best when she seems kind of angry and unhinged in a way. Mm. Um, very, very disrupted and and antagonistic towards the rest of the world mostly because she seems that way in real life like she never seems very she's kind of like james franco in that way where she doesn't seem to really want to be anywhere that you see her including Mm. the movies that she's in i don't know why i get that impression and if that's cynical and but she she seems to be removed from a lot of the work that she does and that doesn't always work but it does work in Welcome to Me, when she is displaced from this normal, quote-unquote, world that she exists in and that everyone is kind of judging her for, that she can't get her shit together. But she's clearly, you know, in, 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 at her core, something is off, as opposed to just being, you know, a disaffected indie stock character. Yeah, so that, I mean, that is more interesting in terms, like, the kinds of roles that get offered to women, especially people who are on television, like just that she is going for something darker and more interesting than the typical thing is promising. Yeah. I think that's a lot of people at Toronto did not like welcome to me. And I was excited to see it finally and, and enjoy it as well. And just, and just kind of admire it. You know, it's, it's not a comfortable film. It's not necessarily an enjoyable film. And you could see why people at a film festival would walk out kind of angry. Well, I think that, First of all, that movie would have done a lot better had it premiered at Sundance. Um, not that, you know, who knows if that option was available to them or if they felt that it would be. You know? uh, right. No. Yeah, the greatest that. film festival in the uh, country. But I also, the movie, particularly because uh, of how it begins in this sort of arid Southern Californian purgatory, um, there's just something really deadening about it. And I think that, uh, as it's supposed to be, and I think that a movie like that buried halfway through the Toronto schedule, uh, it's just not a great place for it. Uh, I think it, it fared a lot better as the only movie I saw in a screening room one afternoon in, in April in New York. <laughs> you need the perfect conditions when you're not thinking about seeing good movies. And all of a sudden... <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. When you're avoiding seeing Age of Ultron. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so Welcome to Me is playing in a few theaters 
this weekend. And I, Is it on VOD at all? I'm trying to figure that out. I don't think it is just yet i people have to hit me up on twitter or something i do not believe i don't think it is doing the vod Um, i could be wrong it in a very tiny theater it will be on vod very quickly uh this is destined to be on netflix so welcome to me probably Kristen wig's best movie since bridesmaids is that you really didn't like really didn't love the skeleton twins huh no i did not oh it's way better way better than (laughs) skeleton twins you rappers do baby shit just all right, for this mini segment, we're going to play a little trivia game that I've not trivia. told you guys oh, much God. about. Oh, God. Um, because I didn't want you to cheat. That's how paranoid I am. I want to preserve this trivia experience um, because you guys don't deserve the, the, the leg up. I just feel like, David, you're a cheater. At heart. Wow. I told you. What? Saying that huh? to a hardcore trivia player. Wow. <laughs> Who I think huh. cheats at trivia. No, no I, uh, whoa. Never, never, never. Know. We'll break that I scandal. IQ, I, too. Would um, never happen. However, I think that your suspicions are born from just how frequently I've won our trivia games. That's wow. true. Um, that's true. And also your love yeah. for Marvel movies, uh, mm. which is what this trivia round is going to be about. I of have course to it is. Yes, of course it is. Well, the, 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 I was thinking about it. You know, my gut reaction, and we'll talk about this in our review later this week, uh, to Avengers Age of Ultron was like, God damn it, there are so many characters in this movie. And it got me thinking, like, there are so many characters in the Marvel universe that I've probably forgotten forgotten about um and now we're going to see if you have forgotten about them is this only cinematic universe this is only the marvel studios cinematic universe so i stand a chance yes well we'll see um and and the name of this game is basically going i'm going to give you the character name from and i'll tell you the marvel movie that they're in and you just have to tell me the actor who plays them oh god that seems easy right so who wants to go first volunteer I volunteer as tribute. Okay. You, you I can't believe on... you planned this when we thought Dave was going to be on this show. It would have destroyed <laughs> so, us. Wait, re- repeat the rules. I say I'm going to give actor. you the character name, and you're going to okay. tell me the actor who plays. Oh, this is and, doubly hard because I, I never not, remember uh, actor names. Yes, exactly. Well, exactly. So this is a little tough, and I did not figure out if like one track is harder than the other. I did not even it out. So I am not the fucking college board to make things <laughs> even. So one of you may be in complete pain, and one of you may prevail. But why don't we? Start David, mm-hmm. in the Iron Man movies, Happy mm-hmm. Hogan. Oh, John Favreau. You got it. You got it. Hey, I knew that one too. So, you know what? This could be easy. This could, this be could easy. work out. Uh, just do you, uh, other people that were in Iron Man that I wanted to mention were Ferran Tahir, who is the guy he meets in the cave, and Peter Billingsley is apparently also in the Iron Man movies, which I totally forgot. In more than one Iron Man movie? No, he's only in the first one. Ca- huh. Little cameo. The director of Couples Retreat is there, if you look hard <laughs> enough. Um, okay, Katie. All right. This, this character appears in both Iron Man 1 and 2. Okay. Her name is, she's a reporter. Her name is Christine Everhart. Who do you oh, Leslie Bibb. You got it. You got hey. it. <laughs> I was surprised. You know, Leslie Bibb is not someone I ever think about, and I'm not, I think the last movie I saw oh, Leslie I Bibb I think about Leslie Bibb every night. Every day. Oh, I think she was in every Hell day. Baby. A, mo- a horror comedy that no one saw. Uh, I've seen her in a good old-fashioned orgy. Oh, you know, yes, exactly. I saw that movie. A Tribeca classic. Um, <laughs> other people in Iron Man 2 that I forgot about were John Slattery as Oh, yeah, it's Howard Stark. Stark father. Kate Mara is in the movie as a U.S. Marshal. Uh, yeah, didn't know that. Larry Ellison, I, rich guy, he's in it. Olivia Munn is in it yeah. as someone mm-hmm. named Chess I'm, Roberts. I was the start of her acting career. Yes, Elon Musk is in the movie and Gary Shandling, of course. All right, David. 
Yeah. The Incredible Hulk, the only Hulk oh, movie to be in oh, the MCU. Uh, who I know plays General people. Thunderbolt Ross? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's Tim Roth. He's Amir, Emil Blonsky. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And he plays the uh, No extra later. points for that. No, no. Well, no. I, I, I wrote about this stuff today. So, oh, uh, really? But yeah, only, no. only the major villains. So I don't. Mustached man. A mustached man. It's not Stanley. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's not Tom Selleck because I would remember that. No, it, that would um, be great though. That When's would be great. Tom Selleck gonna be he'll, part of the MCU. He'll be in a Mar- he'll be in a Marvel movie. I'm I'm gonna put like ten dollars on that right now. Sam Elliott what? played this character Sam in, the, okay. in the original version, but oh, it's not Sam Elliott. It's not Sam Elliott. <laughs> that was the 2003 Ang Lee version. All right, you're failing. I'm gonna call you. It's William Hurt. Oh, I thought it was Sam Elliott. No, Sam Elliott was the Hulk 2003. This is the Incredible Hulk. Totally different. Oh. All right. You didn't you said get mustached one. man. That was the only thing I could think of. I'm sorry. Uh, Are you keeping score? I am keeping score. Don't okay. worry. Someone will win. And just as a reminder, Ty Burrell is an Incredible Hulk. Michael Kenneth Williams plays a guy in Harlem because Yikes. apparently Ed Yikes. Norton loves Michael Kenneth Williams. And Martin Starr appears in the movie as a computer hacker. <laughs> um, so these people can never re-enter the MCU. All right. Katie. In yeah. Captain America, the first Avenger, who okay. plays the Hydra assassin, Heinz Kruger? Oh, God. A Hydra assassin. Okay. To paint a picture, he's the guy who Captain America chases down alleyways in the beginning, and then he kills himself by biting into his fake tooth. And giving oh. Oh. Oh, the guy who was in Inglorious Bastards, who was the guy with the... Till Schweiger. No, I'm uh, sorry. It's actually I, Richard Armitage of Hobbit fame. <laughs> never would have uh, gotten Exactly. That. I didn't know. Would you have gotten Dum Dum Dugan? Oh, oh, yeah. I remember. I don't remember the guy's Neil name. Neil McDonough. I was, yeah. I was toying with him being the one. And uh, Derek Luke appears in the film as Gabe Jones, another one of the soldiers, along with captain america and natalie dormer is in the movie Do you i did that? know that she's the one who's making out with uh yes Cap- private lorraine <laughs> apparently yeah so she can you know people want her to play captain marvel but like she's already part of the mcu would be <laughs> you're really strict yes exactly uh all right david thor mm-hmm. one and two who plays volstag volstag what's volstag, volstag is one of what's thor's that? Uh, mighty men, the the mighty three or whatever it's called. I cannot remember. It's I, not, Warriors it's, it's Warriors not three. Warriors Idris yes. Elba. It is not Idris Elba. Uh, no, he, yeah. he plays is it the Zach guy who's Levi? guarding the Rainbow Bridge. Hey, hey, hey! You already guessed. No, I didn't. I just said it's not Idris Elba. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's true. Uh, um, but we're running out of time, so you only have five seconds. Oh fuck! Uh, shitty fuck! I don't know. That is not a name. It's Ray Stevenson, uh, yeah, who would later appear, or actually before. He was in Thor. He was the Punisher in a, in a non-MCU movie. I think they replaced Zachary Levi for the second one anyway. They did. Josh Dallas was in the first one, and then Zachary Levi was in the second one. Oh, Zachary Levi okay. was the replacement. Actually, he was cast first, and then he had to bow out, and then Josh Dallas was hired, and then they got whatever. Then Chuck got canceled. Katie, Thor yes. 2. Who plays oh two roles in the movie, Algram the Strong and Curse? That's with a K. <laughs> Fuck those dark elves. Oh, my God. Uh, um, there was someone else who was with Christopher Eccleston under all that dumb makeup who I felt bad for. And I can't remember who it was. Big. He was big? lost. Oh, wait. Are you really going to give me that hint? 
I guess I already did. Adewal Akinio Ogabai. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Close enough. Please, please don't write me about that. Horrible, I'm sorry. Horrible. Um, so sorry. Other people in the movie include Chris O'Dowd. Do you remember? It was not Yeah, long ago he's that on he a date a with Natalie uh, Portman. Yeah, exactly. And um, Alice Krieg who was the star of Guy Madden's Twilight of the Ice Nymphs. And in a future episode, we'll do how, uh, you know, how many Guy Madden actresses are a part of the MCU. But that that's for like another quiz. time. Okay, David, the Avengers. Who plays mm. the security guard that discovers Bruce Banner after he like, falls out of an airplane? Oh, Harry Dean Stanton. You got it. Paris, Texas. Isn't Paris that celebrating Texas. its anniversary? It Early is. this week? Instead of talking about Paris, Texas, we're talking about casting of the Marvel yeah, universe. Thanks, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Yeah, but you know what? At least <laughs> you said you don't have to wait for an anniversary, David. So talk about Paris, <laughs> Texas, whenever you want. Yes, uh, at least I'm mentioning it. Uh, and Powers Booth is also in the Avengers, which is necessary. I remember giving you Powers Booth in the IMDb game once, and so I think the Avengers important. was the only one possible oh, to get yeah. right. Uh, Katie, Iron Man three. Do you know who plays the president of the United States, President Ellis? Oh God! Not that long ago. Oh, I think Ray Wise played a president in some recent movie, but I don't know if it was that. But that's my guess. Uh, nope, it's William Sadler. Oh, oh yeah, he's uh, in a couple of them, isn't, he? isn't uh, he? He might surface in a sequel just as a cameo, but this was his big presidential moment, big Maybe Marvel moment. Right now, I'm looking up. Ray also, Wise. James Badge Dale was in. Yeah, uh-huh. he was, well, he was well, supposed he was to be a huge he had a big star. Role. What happened yeah, to that he guy? He was the, uh, I don't know. Well, he's still, got, he's still got time. Maybe. I guess Lone Ranger didn't help him. And Adam Pally is in Iron Man 3. I recently interviewed him about that. Really? I mean, not about that, but I talked to him Hopefully about Hopefully he'll come back in a future Marvel movie. And, and, and in the Chinese version of Iron Man 3, Bing Bing Fan appears. But we'll never get that version here, unfortunately, unless you're on some torrent site. Okay, David, wrapping mm-hmm. it up. Captain America the Winter Soldier, who mm-hmm. plays Agent 13, a.k.a. Kate. <laughs> what? Oh wait! Oh wait! I know this! I know this! You I do. know this! Shit! 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 shit. Uh, uh, it's oh, it's the girl from. It's not Colby it Smulders. Like it's the girl from. Be a big deal. It's the girl from Revenge. Yes, the ABC it is. Show Revenge. Oh. Uh, what do you know her name? <laughs> Come on! I should get a half point for the girl from Revenge. I'll give you. A um, half point. <laughs> yeah. If you I give up know. now, you get a half point. Okay, I have no oh, idea. It's Emily Van Camp. Oh, okay. And uh, DC Pearson is in the movie. Mm-hmm. He is. Mac, that's working at the Apple, Apple guy. Store. And uh, Gary yeah. Sinise appears in Captain America the Winter Soldier. He's, what? Uh, he's, he's the voiceover in the museum they visit. Whatever. Oh, at the, uh, at the Airspace Museum. Which means course. he can no longer appear in the MCU. Uh, Katie, last question. Guardians of the Galaxy, not very long ago. Probably an easy way to go out. Who plays Nova Prime? Oh, Glenn Close. You got it. Yeah. Love that. So name. I win by half point. Damn Do you? It. You're keeping track? Oh, wait, let's see. You, well, it's, got... I can count to two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yes, David got uh, t- two and a half points. Wait, didn't I get three? Katie, you got one. I've lost. You got two. I got Glenn Close. Didn't I get another one? Sorry. I got uh, Leslie Bibb. Yeah, you got... Oh, I got three. Wait, you did get Leslie Bibb. I mean, you also kind of gave me the last one, so maybe wait, I also Katie, get a half wait, three wait, points. Wait, Katie wait, 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 no, no, no. I was just offering to make it a tie because you, I got a not get, fair you guess. You did not get Glenn Close? What? I did get Glenn Close. She just got Glenn Close. Glenn Close, Adewale, and Leslie Bibb. That gives Katie three. Wait, she who wins. was the second one? You've been dethroned. But you did give me a hint, so wait, maybe we can make it a second one? 
Okay. Adewale, the guy whose name I butchered. Don't make me say it again. All right. You each got two and a half points. You both this win this rigged. trivia round. I don't remember that. <laughs> you both know your Marvel movies so well. I want to say for the record, uh, Ray Wise played the Secretary of State in X-Men First Class. N- not part that's, of the MCU. That's what I was thinking of. You lose a point for mentioning something. Damn it. Damn it. All right, a few things have inspired our segment three uh, for today. The first off being Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah. Heard of it? Um, I don't think I'm going to spoil anything by saying that once again uh, in, this, in this sequel, Joss Whedon employs a little strategy called the single long take. Uh, he wants this team, the Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Black Widow, Hawkeye. They want, he wants them to feel like a team. So what does he do? This elaborate action scene in the beginning of the film and other places across this epic. Um, He strings it together as one gigantic take. And I guess that's supposed to make it feel connected, feel these guys working together as a team. Um, For me, unlike certain sequences in that first Avengers, this one just like rattled my brain i don't know i was I, it was it was something was different from, more I, I don't think i've ever said this phrase before but from your lips to god's ears <laughs> <laughs> I, I i was shaken there was so much laser be so many laser beams and tree explosions and moving people i couldn't believe what was going on in this single take but it, it did get me thinking about how we can employ this technique and how it seems to be fetishize these days and and where it came from and why why we've gotten to this point where using the single long take seems to be so important or so impressive and if it connects it all with the audience uh you know at tribeca film festival closing night this past weekend uh they screened goodfellas was it an anniversary i guess yeah. Yeah. that makes 25th sense. anniversary you know goodfellas is pretty well known for this uh, elaborate tracking steady cam shot through uh, the kitchen and the back rooms of this club and um that that I'm putting two and two together here there's there's a long history starting with the steady cam and then moving into animation and cg and and how you know I think of Robert Zemeckis very often when I think of the the evolution of the long take because when he started doing polar express and when he got into mocap the reason he wanted to do motion capture was because he felt like he could now have the fluidity of single shots he didn't have to cut and for some reason that is what true cinema was for him. And, you know, now we have Birdman and Gravity, and now we have The Raid, and which birthed, uh, or Old Boy, which birthed Daredevil, and people can't stop talking about these, this long, elaborate or, back and forth shot in the, in the second episode of the Daredevil, the Netflix Daredevil series. Or I think about True Detective, that had a right. famous long take action well, sequence. We had a 24 hour that... news cycle entirely revolving around a long take. It's a very strange thing to see in the mainstream media because it's just, it's a technical thing that we don't talk about. So I put it out. Let's let's just have a crazy conversation about long single takes. Why we're obsessed with them, or why we're not? If they work, or if they don't. Well, okay. So first of all, talking about a long take is opening such a can of film school worms uh, that you'll never be able to put them all. Where are you going to lay the dolly tracks, David? Yeah, but we we have to at this point because the mainstream has done it. It used to be a film school conversation, but but now it's out there. 
Well, I think that, you know, to a certain degree, the semiotics involved in the long take and whatnot, I mean, these are still film school topics. I think one of the reasons that the long take appeals to the masses, and this is going to sound slightly more condescending than I mean it to, is that... Everything uh, out of your mouth does. Don't worry. Is that it uh, not only is the athleticism on display, at least when there's not as much CGI fakery involved as there is in the shots in the Avengers. Um, but it is a self-evident bit of film grammar where people who aren't even or casual viewers, people who don't often think about the, uh, the grammar of films, people who, um, yeah, they can, they can see this for themselves. It is bringing the water to them. They can say, they can feel the, work involved and it's not quite the same mental gymnastics involved in, in figuring out uh, you know why certain editing choices were made or um, why the camera was put in a certain place I think that it's very clear in these Avengers movies something that Joss Whedon does with extraordinary success in the last 30 minutes of the first Avengers and with unending miserable failure in Age of Ultron we'll get uh, spoiler. because spoiler, it seems that he had like a computer's processing power as only a certain number of characters that he could juggle in his brain at a time. And he's exceeded that number um, is that he's trying to make the action coherent. I don't think there's rocket science involved here. Uh, I don't think that the meaning eclipses the effect. I think that it's simply trying to unite the space with all these different one-on-one battles going on when they're fighting outside of grand central in the first movie. It's immensely helpful to show the spatial relations between all the characters and understand the sort of the geometry of violence that's happening between everyone. Here's Scarlet, not Scarlet, that's the second movie. Here's Scarlet Johansson, uh, not Scarlet Witch. And here's uh, the Hulk, and here's Iron Man, and here are the aliens, and they're all fighting each other. Um, in the second movie, I was just rewatching a clip that they put online in a fight in a, in a uh, warehouse somewhere in Africa. I think it's South Africa. I can't remember if they specify. Um, I think they actually, there's a cry out that says African Coast. I think it's Mali. Well, Guy Lodge was complaining about it being the African coast. And if, if they – or not Guy Lodge. Someone was complaining about it being the African coast. And if it just says the African coast, <laughs> then yeah, that's troubling. Uh, that's I, I don't – there's so much visual information in this movie. To ask me to remember a single Chiron is – after one viewing is nuts. But uh, um, they – Ultron fights the Avengers briefly on this little bridge and a ship that's been overturned or whatever. And um, they – it's just such chaos. You see instantly how the scene hasn't been directed. So, and I complained about this with, uh, with first Avenger or sorry, with winter soldier. I think either I did it on Twitter or on the show or both last week when I was talking about how it's just, uh, a lot of coverage that editors try to make sense of later and, and track all the characters. And, uh, that is not directing. It's something that someone like Brad bird would vomit at the sight of. And, uh, I think you see that what's happening here. And one of the tools they have to stitch this together to make it look a lot more coherent than, uh, it does organically is to use CG to make it feel like it's all one shot. Because when you're working with intangible elements, uh, shots are less of an issue than, uh, and spatial relations are less of an issue that they would be otherwise. Um, and he's sort of using it herky-jerky. And it actually, and you we were talking earlier, Patches, about your brain sort of being boggled watching this. I think when this effect is done poorly, it's actually a lot more disorienting than uh, well-executed cuts, you know, from, right. from one two-shot to another might be. Uh, and there, while that first sequence where they storm this fort in wherever 
uh, in Age of Ultron, uh, really makes an effort to reintroduce this team in media res by using all of these uh, long takes that bring everybody together, again, through CG. Um, they are the only ones, because their point is so clearly introductory, that, that make any sort of visual sense. Uh, by the time you get to the later action sequences of the film, the, the miserable Hulkbuster sequence, or the even less coherent sequence of Korea, and hey, then... we're not the reviewing this movie right now, by the way. last 40 so minutes, I know. Anyway, this is the failure of uh, the CG long take. He really can't help himself. I think it's way more interesting not to talk about the CGI-created uh, long takes, because... I think other than the Avengers, I can't think of a ton of blockbusters that have used it that well. Tintin. I don't. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Tintin is another really interesting, really different example. Uh, well, yeah, it's I, the only kind of long take you see in a movie that costs more than a hundred billion dollars these days. Well, I kind of wanted to talk about the ones that don't, like True Detective, which we know is not a cheap TV series by any means, but did have this one showstopper long take sequence, which I think accomplished the exact opposite of what all these CGI aided film. Uh, projects do which is to say this is real that there is like you were saying a physical you know skill going on in making something like this happen and it's one of the few things left that isn't computer generated that can kind of boggle the mind and i think it's really fascinating to see something like that and i you know maybe you won't be able to use any other like old school film techniques to impress people because like david said this is one that's very easily accessible to viewers but I really, I mean, the True Detective one is gimmicky, and you know, and to some extent, most long takes are gimmicky, but well, really effective just because it grabs your attention and you feel this mounting thrill of realizing you're watching a long take and wondering how they're going to pull it off and marveling at just the physical existence within a space of the camera, which is not a feeling you're able to get with a movie that's got a ton of CGI in well, it. What what impresses you about the True Detective scene? Because when it happened and people were kind of losing their minds about it, I wasn't exactly sure what the impressive part of it was that he hit that he he was moving among this chaotic space elegantly or without missing a beat missing a cue it didn't feel like i don't know it didn't feel like a dance it didn't feel like ballet but it didn't feel like a lot of moving parts to me either it just was this long stretch of action i I don't know it it didn't impress me the way uh, like a choreographed fight scene that doesn't miss a beat something like old boy or something in the raid a movie i don't really care for but i at least can acknowledge how impressive it is to kind of execute these fights and this really close quarter combat um without at least cutting in a detectable way the detective scene kind of baffled me well, to me, it wasn't just about the technical proficiency of it, but the way that it puts you inside the emotions of the scene, the way you kind of, it kind of gives you some of the anxiety of what these characters are feeling and, you know, pulling off this really dangerous event by you kind of get the high wire actness of it in terms of watching the filmmaking, which is a really, I don't know, it's a nerdy thing to think about, but also really fun and something that film is really capable of doing and doesn't do very often. Are there well, the little- idea is that you shouldn't have to be, um, of, of course, there's something a little showboaty about it, but uh, the idea is that its impact will be uh, visceral. I mean, it won't yeah. necessarily have to be intellectual in, 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 in an example like this. I mean, you're supposed to feel the uh, coherence of the real-time cause and effect, the idea that the unbroken span from when they begin this raid on that house to when it's over and that – you how little time actually elapsed from one set of circumstances to when those circumstances were completely overturned. I think that's uh, why why some of the long takes, the most impressive long takes in the last 15 years or so um, are in a film like Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days because mm-hmm. you have these life-altering 
uh, stakes and, and you are bridging that gap in the span of a single shot. And there is a very palpable understanding of we were here and now we're there and we've crossed that divide with these characters and we we made that entire journey with them. Or you get something like Hunger, in which literally they wind up nowhere because they're sitting in one room the entire time. But the the, the, the uh, dexterity of the conversation and the the links to which they go within the conversation are so clear to you because you've got the camera in one place watching the whole thing happen. I, I kind of piggybacking on that. One of my favorite long takes is actually the, Tark- the Tarkovsky film Sacrifice when this giant house is burning down and they're kind of floating between the actors and it's a very wide shot and it's really just about yeah that emotional experience of watching something crumble in real time burn to the ground and watching people react and kind of flip out Um, and it's not about choreography it's about just letting something that you intend to happen unfold on i think uh one of the maybe the most effective long take i've seen the past few years and we won't dwell on this too much for reasons that will become obvious in a second, uh, is in uh, a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. Um, because, I, I mean, I guess we should really save this for the review, but there's a take in the middle of this movie. I mean, the movie, all the Roy Anderson's three films in this trilogy are comprised of long takes, but there's a take in this movie that spans upwards of 20 minutes that involves so many different moving pieces without the camera itself ever actually moving. Um, but it, you just, like 10 minutes into it, when you realize that all of this has been staged for you and, and the, the, it, it does sort of – the long takes have this interesting power to actually be so arresting that they push you out of the experience. That the sort of Brechtian residue where you start to think of uh, the work that is involved in making them once you realize what the choices are that have been made in the filmmaking and you find yourself just sort of laughing um, at the, the – uh, expense and the 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 you know herculean task involved in putting this shot together um but then sort of that passes and you get back sucked into it i mean you can have these whole mini narratives that have their their own lives in these long takes when they're successful i have an idea and i just came up with this and it may be elsewhere but i wonder if a world so dominated by periscope and youtube and bloggers and things like that where we're watching long takes of people Mm. just holding their phones up to their lives and how messy they are and how even people who are professional YouTubers are kind of, you know, throwing their camera all over the place that then when we see something so artfully constructed, we're even more aware of how incredible it is. Well, it seems like it would be the opposite, right? In the world of Periscope, which will emerge more and more where you're just like watching streaming video or you're, you're, you know, it doesn't have to be artful. It just has to be sustained. That the, the sustained shot will lose its its power. It has to but, be something like the event. But not- it has to be animated. It has to be like Gravity or Birdman, where it's it's not just a sustained long take or, <laughs> I forgot or a about motion to kind of happening in the background. It has to be uh, a circus of of camera movement. But it's the same stuff that even looks good. That looks composed and thoughtful. Because so often, you know, it's re- realizing that it's really hard to do. But and the existence of Periscope and YouTube vlogs and stuff like that say good things for people's attention spans. You know, people say that we don't have the time to pay attention to more than 30 seconds of video. But if people are paying attention to 20 minutes of some kid sitting in front of their laptop, then <laughs> maybe we can pay attention to this kind of thing. We, the next Russian arc will be... Some Russian kid with his periscope. <laughs> well, there's, a, a, dash there's cam. a yes. The thing about the long takes that are interesting is is not 
they're not always, I mean, hunger is a really good example. They're not always uh, hyper-choreographed in ways that are uh, loud or, or obvious, but um, they are all choices. They, uh, I think that talking about Periscope or you know, YouTube channels where people are just sitting at their computers and, and vlogging, as the kids say, these are <laughs> not choices. These are ch- this is choiceless video. I mean, this is simply the only option that's available to them. It's out of convenience. And that doesn't mean that there is not meaning in that um, by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it, it's a very different experience. Well, is that, than- what, is that what Zemeckis runs into in his motion capture movies? I'm thinking about the difference between something like uh, uh, Beowulf, uh, and Tintin and Spielberg's movie. Uh, and Spielberg has been employing long takes for, you know, Jaws has this great kind of... Spielberg's filmmaking is Spielberg. so fluid. He almost doesn't need long takes all of the time. I mean, right. everything just sort of patches together. Yeah, but even, even his long takes are kind of invisible. You know, plant a camera on a boat and just be moving and have a great, you know, trio dialogue scene. And that that is a long take that you don't even... The camera, it's not the camera moving around and sustaining it. It's your environment. But I, I do th- I do wonder about what went wrong with Zemeckis and if it's all about choice, as you were saying, David. Uh, is there a certain point where you have so much choice that it becomes choiceless, even though it's in the animation realm? But going back to almost Avengers and a lot of the blockbusters that we see today that kind of try and mesmerize us with really long, elaborate CG takes. Uh, I, I don't know. Is that possible? Is there a threshold for where, where it just becomes messy, becomes choiceless when every moment is precisely uh, animated. Well, I'm not sure I necessarily follow because I mean, yeah, it's it, there. You could make any animated film uh, as a long take, especially you know, with the appearance of a long take. I mean, especially if your story uh, accommodated for that. But that I think it sort of supposes that there is an inherent value, or there, like there, something is lost within a cut, whereas. Uh, we can't forget that cuts are sort of the the fundamental building blocks of cinema in the first place, and that um, you have so much to gain by cutting intelligently rather than simply eliding cuts by making everything one take. So it's not like films uh, would always simply be one take if they had the opportunity to do so. Um, you know, because I think you know Tintin has a ton of regular you know traditional film grammar in its editing, and a lot of those scenes are very effective. And then when it does go into that long take uh, in that thrilling motorcycle sequence, um, it has a special oomph to it because of how it contrasts from what you've seen to that point. Well, this has been a great long take uh, of our podcast. Yeah, no cuts in this. Uh, <laughs> no, guys, no I forgot that Birdman won Best Picture. until I forgot that Birdman existed. <laughs> wow. Come on, guys. That was been... one big take. It was a hot yeah. take. It was such a hot on take. filmmaking. Full of um, ladies making out and everything. The hottest take. <laughs> Sorry, this is not about Birdman. It's well, sounding like David now. We we will we will go back to Avengers: Age of Ultron and its very long takes uh, later this week. Uh, They're not that long. <laughs> there's not there's not like a super long take in that movie where you're gonna walk away being like that. That that was, that was amazing. That was one long take. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I walked away that way. We'll get there. We'll get there. For now, we're calling cut. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday, as promised, with a review of Avengers Age of Ultron, provided you don't think that we've reviewed it already in this conversation. Uh, In the meantime, tell the people who you are. 
I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer of Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, FightingTheWorm.com. Post all the episodes. You can leave comments. You can share the episodes. You can grill us. You can review us. You can do anything on our website. It's FightingTheWarroom.com. Anything? Anything. Mm-hmm. You can uh, text us. It's no, episode 69 no, you after can't. all. No, Brrr. you cannot. Yeah. Long take. <laughs> I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at uh, a bunch of other places. Fuck it. Uh, you can also find all of us together uh, on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. Send us messages. People seem to like to do that. We read them. Yeah. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Twitter is also the place where you can find our entire podcast at FITWR, where we also read your messages and your answers to this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Far From the Madden Crowd, what classic book do you want to see adapted and who is your big name lead? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back ultroning you on Friday. <laughs> <laughs>